You can remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 18 through 30 this morning. Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. This is the story of the rich ruler, or the rich young ruler, as it's described in some of the other Gospels. So Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said, Truly I say to you, There is none who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, would you please pray with me? Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray, amen. Uh, Before we get started this morning, you may notice that uh, up front here, uh, we have a wreath that is hanging on the side. Um, because she is not here this morning, I have the opportunity to do this, but if she was here, she would be greatly embarrassed. Uh, but Bernadette Dempsey made this for us. Uh, we appreciate beauty in this church because God is a God of beauty, and uh, she asked if she could make a fall wreath for us to enhance uh, uh, the, uh, the beauty of the sanctuary, and I said, of course, we would love that. So uh, if you do see her, uh, if you could say thank you to her, I know she would appreciate that, and uh, it's great to have... Um, more opportunities to display God's beauty uh, here, even in the sanctuary. Um, but if she was here, she would kill me that I just said that. So <laughs> you didn't hear it from me from the pulpit. <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> my, my sister also appreciates beauty. Um, I have a sister, Patty, in, uh, in, who lives in Germany. And for their wedding, um, uh, as uh, they proceeded out, uh, there's a lawn that's in the front of our church uh, where I grew up. And they had a balloon launch 
after their wedding, which I thought was really cool. Um, I don't know if environmentalists let you do balloon launches anymore, um, but they had done this. This was, uh, I think, almost 15 years ago now. Um, and it was incredible. We, we all got a balloon. It had a little card on it. You know how those work. You get to see how far the balloon goes, and uh, hopefully people will write back and where they received it from. I don't remember how far the balloons went. I just remember that image. Uh, it, it's just a really beautiful image of these multicolored balloons just lifting up into the sky. Uh, it was just gorgeous. Um, but um, one of the hardest things as a parent to see is when you have a little child who has one of those balloons, who doesn't want to let it go, and suddenly, uh, for whatever reason, the balloon is gone, and then you see it just drifting slowly up into the sky. You know, the child is crying, oh, and there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing. It's just, there it goes. And you watch it, and it takes about five minutes, and see how far it goes, and it's sad. Um, you're helpless, though. There's nothing you could do. Uh, this morning, as we look at our passage, uh, this rich young ruler has a tight grasp on something in his life, and it's his wealth. As the Bible tells us, he is extremely rich. And Jesus is calling him, like a little child, to simply let it go. And he struggles with it immensely. In fact, the passage tells us that he goes away completely sad, uh, very sad, because he does not want to let go. Last week, as we were looking at Luke chapter 18, uh, we, we read from a parable, and Jesus concludes the parable, and children are coming to him. And he says that if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like a little child. And what we talked about last week is that we need to come to, come to Jesus as helpless and as dependent. And so as we see here in Luke 18, verse 18, um, we see kind of the opposite of that. The rich young ruler doesn't come helpless like a little child. He comes, um, in a sense, he almost comes in arrogance. Um, he doesn't mean to convey that, but he comes in self-righteousness. And he comes and he asks Jesus a question. It's kind of a follow-up question. Jesus was just talking about the kingdom and entering into it. And he asks the question, how can I inherit eternal life? And he calls Jesus something. He, he uses this title, and he says, Good Teacher. It's a very important uh, title that he uses here. Uh, in a sense, what he's doing is kind of, kind of this over-the-top flattery of Jesus by calling him Good Teacher. Uh, it's a term that's generally reserved just for God alone. There's no one else in, the, in Scripture that actually addresses Jesus as Good Teacher. He's addressed as teacher many, many times. Uh, but only in this story is he addressed as good teacher. And Jesus coyly plays along with the ruler here. And he says, well, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God alone. That title of good was reserved for God. But Jesus doesn't press the matter there. He doesn't try to figure out more of what the man is, is trying to, to convey with that. He moves on to his question. But the man addresses Jesus as good teacher because, in a sense, he's, he's buttering Jesus up at this point a little bit. Uh, this verse is actually dripping with irony because we know the truth is, is that Jesus is the good teacher. And he deserves that title because he is God. But the ruler doesn't realize this. If the ruler did realize it, he wouldn't have walked away sad. 
he would have walked away obeying Jesus, um, but he doesn't. At this point, anyone beside Jesus would have thought, wow, you know, this guy who's extremely rich, he thinks that I'm something special. He thinks I'm a good teacher. But the ruler is just using the term to flatter Jesus. In a sense, he's a, he's a brown noser. He's trying to butter Jesus up. It's like a child who wants that last cookie, and he'll come to his mother and he says, Mommy, you're so beautiful. <laughs> I love you so much. Can I please have the last cookie? <laughs> I mean, how do you say no to that? I mean, it's tough. Um, but in a sense, that's what this man is doing here. Uh, typically, this approach works. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I would tell my students to get to know the teachers in their classes, uh, that it's important to build a relationship with them. Um, because if you have a good rapport with your teacher, it can mean a difference between a B and an A. I mean, we're all fallen people, and yes, you know, it's, you know, this is what is a B and this is what it's an A, but usually if teachers have a good relationship with you, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I said, work on that. Get to know your teachers. Uh, but what the ruler is doing here is he's pouring this flattery on Jesus to draw attention, not to Jesus, not, to, not to, to lift Jesus up. He's actually drawing attention to himself. And this is how we can tell if the man truly believed that Jesus was the good teacher, if he really believed that, or at least a teacher sent from God, then he would have done what the good teacher told him to do. But he doesn't. Instead of listening to Jesus, the man sadly walks away. So there's a difference between mere flattery and honestly giving the glory and the honor to God. Uh, God doesn't desire our trite flattery. He doesn't desire for us to butter him up. Um, because when we do that, usually we're trying to draw attention to ourselves and to get our own way. This is the sin of the Pharisee in the parable that we talked about last week. He draws attention to himself, not attention to the Lord. And believe me, God knows the difference. I was convicted this, uh, as I was studying this this past week. When I address God in prayer, do I come to him to flatter him in order to, in a sense, get my desires, these requests that I'm bringing to him? Or am I coming to him, approaching him, as he really is, honestly giving him the glory and the honor that he deserves. And honestly, what's the difference? Well, the difference, as we'll see as we keep going in this passage, the difference is a matter of the heart. Where's my heart? Does my heart desire myself, or does my heart truly desire the glory of the Lord? What we see from this rich young ruler this morning is that he was blind to the condition of his own heart. As we progress here in Luke 18, uh, Jesus responds by saying, you know, why do you call me good? The only one who's good is God alone. And then he addresses the question that the man posed. So he says, you know the commandments, and he rattles off several commandments here. In uh, Luke 18, verse 20, he says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. If you're keeping track at home, that's only five. He missed the other five. Why does Jesus pick these and not others? Well, if you did, uh, divide the Ten Commandments into two groups or two tables, in a sense, you have the first four, which speak to our relationship with God, and then you have 
5 through 10, which speak of our relationship to one another. Uh, Jesus summarized the, the Ten Commandments by saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. If you notice, all five commandments that Jesus picks out here are not from the first part about our relationship to God. They're from the second part. Uh, And he actually leaves out number 10, which is coveting. So these commandments that Jesus lists here, in a sense, they appear to be a little more outward. You can tell when people are keeping these commandments of, you know, not, uh, not lying and not stealing, not committing adultery, uh, not murder, honoring your parents. In a sense, they're more easily observed. They, they involve actions. I know all of them do. Um, but when you come to something like coveting, you can very easily hide that sin of coveting. Uh, it's more of a matter of the heart, including the first four as well. So what does this man say to Jesus? This response is amazing. Uh, he says, All of these I have kept since I was a youth. So this man had the audacity to say, you know, since back before I can remember, I have kept all these commandments. It shows his limited understanding of the law. Uh, He obviously did not hear Jesus' sermon on the mount. Maybe he can hopefully get the recording of that. Maybe that was podcasted or something. But he needs to hear that. Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says it's not just the physical keeping of the law, it's keeping the law in your heart. And it's impossible to keep the law. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now we all know from experience that this man could not have kept the law since he was a boy. Um, It's not enough to just to not kill But what the law really requires is for us not to get angry because when we get angry, we commit murder in our hearts. It's not enough to just not commit adultery, as the commandment says, but what Jesus says, you shouldn't look lustfully at a woman because it causes adultery in your heart. This ruler draws a sharp contrast to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, where Paul calls himself the foremost, or the chief of sinners. Or even David in Psalm 51 says, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And we know the truth, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we learn from this, from the rich young ruler? Um, Jesus is teaching us the difference between mere appearances and the matter of the heart. It's actually possible to keep the law in your actions and to break it in your heart. You can refrain from murder, but in your heart you can harbor anger and bitterness and even rage. Uh, You can remain physically pure for your spouse, but have a secret thought life that is filthy and full of adulterous thoughts. We know this well. Uh, that's why in Matthew 7, verse 21, when Jesus says this, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying it's not a matter of appearances, but it's a matter of the heart. So how do we apply that to our lives? Um, First of all, do not approach Jesus like this rich young ruler saying, Jesus, I've kept those, and I've kept them since I was a boy. No, instead we come to Jesus and we confess our sins to him. Be willing to admit, God, I don't keep your law no matter how hard I try. And even when I do, I do it so that I can impress you. We need to come, as we talked about last week, coming helpless to the Lord as little children. Come as the tax collector beating our breast and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you don't come to God dependent and helpless as a little child, then he will humble you. And by using a simple request, Jesus gently pulled back the veil on this man's heart, leaving him utterly exposed before the crowd. So Jesus didn't dispute the ruler's statement when he said, all these have kept, I have kept from my youth. Jesus could have used this as a great opportunity to talk about doctrine and total depravity, uh, the doctrine of original sin, about how we're, we're all sinful uh, from, the, from conception. Uh, but instead, what Jesus does is he takes a different approach. And in Luke 18, verse 22, he says this. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So Jesus, with the precision of a surgeon, with a scalpel in his hands, he cuts through the facade of this man's life, and he lays open his heart for all the world to see. Because how does this man respond? He responds with great sadness because of his great wealth. What Jesus is doing here, um, we can rephrase it in terms of the law, because that's what Jesus brought, um, came with at first. So if we rephrase it in terms of the law, maybe Jesus would say something like this, you may have kept all the commandments, but tell me this, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And if you do, literally put your money where your mouth is and give it away to the poor to help them. And when you do that, show your love for God and come and follow me. If he truly loved God, would he be able to display that by giving it all up? Would he be able to sacrifice everything for the Lord? Does he love God enough to say that God is enough? You know, this request of Jesus is so incredible because it gets right to the bottom of his heart. And what Jesus does, actually in a very gentle way, he rips this man's heart wide open. Wide open. He came into this encounter with Jesus all smiles, with flattery towards Jesus, and he leaves and he's disheartened. He is extremely sad. Outwardly, this man appeared to be the model of following after God. Someone that we could look up to. That's the person who I want to be like. 
but he leaves, um, he leaves decimated, utterly despondent, extremely sad, broken to his core. John Calvin is famous for saying that our hearts are idol factories. And this is true of us, and it's true of the rich young ruler here as well. We may not see it on the outside, but our heart is cranking out idols, left and right. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into this man's particular sin of materialism and how it affects us and the church in North America today. Um, as I was studying this passage, uh, I just felt like there was so much material in this, these 12 verses, 12, 13 verses, uh, that we're actually going to be looking at the rich young ruler again next week as well. Because I believe that this is one of the sins that is deeply affecting the church today in many significant ways. So Jesus is not unnecessarily harsh with this, this ruler, but he is undeniably strong with him. God doesn't share his throne with anything or with anyone. So put yourself in the place of this rich young ruler and examine yourself. Is there something that Jesus could say to you like he did this rich young ruler and say, there is one thing that you lack? And then leaves it open. Is there one thing there that you could put in that blank where Jesus would ask you to give up and it would be extremely difficult for you? Be that like that small child with that helium balloon that you do not want to let go of. Is there something in your life that you are clinging closely to uh, that you feel is more important than the Lord? What idol or idols is the factory in your heart producing? You know, even though this man walks away very sad, Jesus was incredibly kind to him because he exposed the condition of his heart. How kind it is to us when God reveals the sin in our own hearts, I know it doesn't feel like kindness at the time when we feel ripped open, when our hearts are exposed for what they really are, uh, for the sin that we have that dwells inside of us. But in God's kindness, He opens us up to see our hearts. If He doesn't do it now, we know that our hearts will be exposed later. And he uses brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls us to do this as fellow believers. Um, in James 5, verses 19 through 20, uh, Jesus, uh, James says this. says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and he will cover over a multitude of sins. What a great kindness it is when we can bring our brothers and sisters back. That we can show kindness to them by exposing sin in their hearts. You know how hard that is? Even in deep relationship with one another, to expose the sin of one another? You know what our reaction usually is? I know if someone comes to me to expose sin in my life, which definitely happens... Uh, the first reaction is usually defensiveness. Well, yeah, but what about what you do? Or I've seen the things that you do, how dare you come to me? But in reality, when our hearts are exposed, it's a great kindness 
because it gives us opportunity to bask in the forgiveness of God, to be reminded of the great gospel, that even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. That there is no one who, who has no sin, like this rich young ruler claims. But instead, we are all sinful, and we can present our sins to God, who graciously forgives us. You know, there's a great fear associated with having our sins our, or our idols exposed. There's a fear of what others might think, how our status might change, how people will look at us differently. But the one person who really matters, God, doesn't look at us differently because he has seen us rightly the whole time. When we confess our sins to God, he rejoices because we are acknowledging that we cannot do this on our own. And we are acknowledging what Christ has done for us. We are admitting that without Christ, we would be lost. And we are magnifying the beauty and the sacrifice of Christ. So Jesus calls this man to give up his possessions, to give them to the poor, and then to come and follow Jesus. Jesus calls this man to sacrifice all that he has, his extreme wealth, to the promise of treasures in heaven and to follow Jesus. But the question is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? This man didn't believe that it was. He didn't believe that treasures in heaven was worth giving up his vast treasure on earth. The question for us this morning, is the kingdom of God worth more than any personal kingdom that we can establish here on this earth? The answer is an obvious yes. We don't often see it that way, but yes, it is worth it. The five minutes of pleasure in this life versus an eternity of abundant joy and happiness that will never end. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. But what's so hard is that our perspective is often short-sighted because all we see is the here and now. We see these kingdoms that we've built here on earth. All we know from experience is this, this physical life. But we know the truth is that God has set eternity in our hearts. He calls us to have the long view, to have the perspective of God's kingdom, that what is to come will far outshine anything that we enjoy and experience here. And for us to have this perspective of eternity, it takes faith, because what God is offering us in the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. God has promised it to us through Christ, and God always makes good on his promises. So Jesus calls this man to sacrifice all that he has, his vast wealth, to come and to follow him because the essence of the gospel is one of sacrifice. Jesus knows the meaning of sacrifice. Uh, If he would have spoken candidly to this rich young ruler, he would have said this. He said, do you think that you have great wealth? You should have seen the riches that I gave up in order to come and be with you here on earth. Jesus sacrificed all that he had, the glories of heaven. His sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He gave that up to save men and women 
the likes of this rich young ruler who produced the idols of their hearts, who have loved other things more than they have loved Christ. Jesus sacrificed all that he had to save men and women the likes of you and me, who produce idols in our own hearts, who have loved other things more than we love Christ. It was because of these idols that Jesus came. He came to break the bonds of sin in our lives, to set us free that we might truly live no longer as slaves, but as sons of God. For that is what we are. And because Jesus has set us free, we are free to lose the tight grip that we keep on the things of this life and to let them go as in a balloon launch, watching these things gently drift away, not desiring them to come back, because we know that the riches that we have waiting for us in the kingdom of heaven are far greater than anything that we can experience here on this earth. And not only that, when we sacrifice these things, what do we have to gain? We gain Christ. And he is, he is worth more than all the treasures of this world. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we confess that we produce idols in our heart. Yes, our hearts are idol factories. And we, we confess that we often come to you in self-righteousness like this rich young ruler. Lord, we desire to inherit eternal life, but we hold on to the things that you call us to give up. Often we love the created things more than we love you, our Creator. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would instill in us a love for you that is greater than a love for anything else. Lord, even if it's by the slimmest of margins, I pray that you would take the throne in our lives, that we would love you with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. And Father, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, that your son sacrificed all that he had so that we might be redeemed. Father, I pray that we would, with thankful hearts, show that love back to you and to others as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.